Judges 17. Chapter 17 of Judges finds Israel, the people of God, and they're under the control of the Philistines. Israel, they're behaving as a society in a complete secular way. You would might say that's the way Israel is today even. Israel is a secular country. But Israel at this time, they're making up their own rules. They're making up their own belief systems. And this is a time in Israel's history when they've already been given the Ten Commandments. God has all since he sent judges, he sent prophets to guide and lead Israel. But God's commandments to Israel at this time, they've become kind of archaic. They've become old-fashioned. There's no thrill or excitement in the ways of God in Israel as a nation. And as a society, uh, they're broken down to the point that each and every person is doing their own thing. And this is uh, in regards to their Lord and their God and their worship of God. Think for a moment with me about modern America and the Christian church, our place in our society. No longer is the Bible the foundation of many Christian denominations in our country. The term evangelical Christian, I don't even know what it means nowadays. It no longer means being born again or Bible-believing. It's, it's some kind of political segment of our society. But there were, you know, they're constantly doing polls, and recently a poll taken among church-attending people confessing to be Christians they have discovered that not one half of today's Christians consider the Bible to be inerrant. That's startling. That opens up what I call Pandora's box. If God's word is subjective, if I can choose to believe what I want to believe, and pick and choose what is true in the Bible and base it around my lifestyle, we're in big trouble. The enemies of Christ have one goal, and that is to cast doubt upon God's word. Satan did this with Eve in the garden. When he said to Eve, did God really say that? Well, he did. Is God truly our creator? Creating the earth and the heavens in six days? Well, that flies in the face of science that says that 13 and a half billion years ago, there was a big bang, and that's where everything came about. Did God really mean 
that marriage is to be one man, one woman for life. After all, what's wrong with two people of the same sex getting married as long as they love one another? Everybody knows that it's love that really matters. And I could get on a soapbox now, but I'm going to refrain. So let's read the first six verses of Judges 17. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from you, on which you put a curse, even saying in my ears, Here is the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. Sort of a strange reaction to being stolen from, but anyway. So when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Thus he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver, gave them to the silversmith, and he made it into a carved image and a molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. Then the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod of household idols, and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there's a lot of pressure on me on this sermon because Jason has been saying to me for months, what are you going to do with that verse? What is right in the eyes of man? Well, here goes, Jason. <laughs> Micah confesses to his mother, I stole your 1,100 pieces of silver, roughly a million dollars in today's money. Mom has a reaction to her thieving son. Bless you, my son. Now, most of us wouldn't say that to our child if he had stole from us. That money, at least $200,000 worth, I will give it to a silversmith to make a household idol and put it in your shrine, Micah. And I'll also get an ephod fashion. An ephod was a priestly robe, and they also get a robe. But Micah and his mom, they're not done. Micah now consecrates one of his own sons to be the family priest. That's a little unusual. Sort of like a mail-ordered doctorate that you can get from some uh, online university, you know? It's worth about the paper it's written on. We live in the Huntsville area. Huntsville has a distinction of being a highly trained, educated area, a high-tech area, uh, and it's an employment center for, for many uh, highly trained scientists and so forth. Education seems to be at a premium and training at a premium here in our area. Unfortunately, that doesn't transfer over to the Christian world. 
some have cast aside one of the best textbooks that the Christian have, and that's the Bible, God's Word. They've cast it aside in that they pick and choose what they want to believe the Bible says. And the Bible has become, in Christian America, subjective. Many pastors and churches only teach the books of the Bible that they find relevant. Not teaching all the books of the Bible. We're in Judges. We will go all the way through to Revelation. Calvary chapels, and I think this is one of our best distinctives, are known for teaching the entire Bible. And that's a good thing to be known for. But now we come to Judges 17, verse 6. And it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. And that's simply saying there was no formal type of government. Everyone was doing right in their own eyes. Unfortunately, that doesn't translate into doing right in God's eyes. And we're given a sample here, and the sample is Micah. Micah and his mother and his family. And they start their own little religious system, and they have a shrine, a little temple probably, and they've got some idols, and they have a self-appointed priest that supposedly leads them in worship. This is the book of Judges, and we just finished studying Samson in chapters 14 through 16. He judged Israel for 20 years. But Samson was a man of questionable character. He was born a Nazarite, separated unto God, given great strength from God, but he was a man that was dominated by his emotions, by his feelings. If he had an impulse, he would do it. You know, like lifting up the gates of a city and carrying them off to a hill, tying foxtails together and this kind of thing. Samson always being led by his motive of revenge against the Philistines, but he was also known for his foolish encounters with Philistine women. Can you say Delilah? And we know that story, and you go, how could the man be so naive or foolish? And that has had an effect on the Israel society. For now, we here we are a few years later, and the trickle-down effect comes to Micah. Micah is an ordinary man who takes it upon himself to start his own religious system. Micah, he was not willing to obey God's commandments. God commanded no idol, no graven images, but Micah, he builds a shrine. He sets up idols. He consecrates priests of the family. And these are all forbidden by God. Micah is putting forth a dedicated effort to be seen and respected as a religious leader. But in truth, 
Micah is simply disobedient to God. It's that simple. So the question becomes, does this happen today? Probably a lot more than we think. There's a segment in the Christian world who look for, who desire their ears to be tickled. What does that mean? They're looking for new, innovative type things within Scripture that they can kind of hang their hat on and be separated and be a little different. Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, he says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So it's not new what's going on within the Christian church today. The Apostle Paul, he tells the church, be ready, be on your toes, convince, rebuke, exhort, and don't grow tired of do it. Do it with long-suffering. Do it for those who will listen to you. Unfortunately, there are many professing Christians that will not endure sound doctrine. Doctrine is vital. It is very important. What we believe, why we believe, and how we behave is important to God. Any Bible-believing church battles. They fight against modern, liberal, sinful doctrines or movements that come into the church. I will just name one of them, prosperity doctrine. Name it, claim it. Or faith in my faith. And that, by the way, is rampant. Have you ever heard, I believe in the power of prayer? I usually ask that person a question. Prayer to whom? The whole world prays. There's 1.7 billion Muslims that pray five times a day. There's untold millions of Buddhists and Hindu and others that pray on a regular basis. I believe in the power of prayer when offered up to the living God. So I believe in prayer, but only when it's offered to God. Scripture tells us that the prayers of a righteous man avails much. We're meeting, we're praying for the upcoming election. There will be, uh, what day are they going to fast? The Monday before elections? Supposed to be a nationwide fast for prayer about the coming election. 
that touches my heart. That's a good thing. But the power of prayer has great qualifiers. And that first qualifier is who are you praying to? Not just praying. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said of one of the religious leaders that he prayed within himself. <laughs> That's nothing more than self-talk. That's all that is. But the question remains, why would believers turn away from sound doctrine? The Apostle Paul answered that because they have itching ears. And they heap up for themselves teachers that will scratch those ears. <laughs> I sometimes become very critical of the modern day Christian church. And one of the group of people that God has called to be salt and light is the church. We're to be the light of the world. But yet I find in my judgmental self that many times Christians are the most naive people I know. They're the most gullible of all people. And some of the teachings, some of the practices that run through the Christian church, they amaze me that how unscriptural they are. We've already mentioned the prosperity doctrine. And all the prosperity movement is, is something that satisfies the flesh. It's a person trying to force God into being their servant through words and prayers, taking scripture out of context, trying to force God to be their servant versus them serving God. That's all prosperity movement is. You might want to look across the page to 2 Timothy 3.12, for there's a verse there that kind of goes against prosperity teaching. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You don't hear the prosperity doctrine people quote that verse. As a fellowship, I'm sure we're like any other fellowship in, that really believes the Bible. We have had people leave our fellowship over the issue that we are talking about. People wanting to hear a more exciting doctrine or more prosperity teaching. I'm the king's kid and I deserve all these things. Paul said, be watchful, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The burden of preaching the tr and teaching the truth, teaching sound doctrine, lies directly on the shoulders of the church today. If we're not going to be salt and light, who is? Back to that verse, Judges 17.6. There was no king in Israel, no system of godly principles enforced by the government. Israel as a people 
and a nation. God founded them. They were to be separated unto God. But now Israel is extremely guilty of disobedience. Everyone doing right in his own eyes is simply disobedience before God. It's nothing more, nothing less. Doing right for Micah was stealing a huge amount of money from his mother. Then mother and son, they make an idol for their personal little shrine. They set up a family priest. In reality, they're starting their own belief system, their own little religious system. But if we read the rest of the chapter, we see the outcome of this system. So let's do that. Let's read verses 7 through 13. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah. He was a Levite, and he was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? So he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to stay. Micah said to him, Dwell with me, and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you ten shekels of silver per year and a suit of clothes for your substance. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, notice Micah's conclusion, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as priest. Quite the conclusion. A young Levite, he's out traveling, he's going through the area, he wants to uh, find a place of a, a position of employment, he's looking to provide for himself, and he's using his heritage as a Levite to do this. He's a Levite, but that doesn't make him eligible to be a priest. The priesthood was reserved for the sons of Aaron. But Micah, he's looking for a priest. He's consecrated one of his own sons to be a priest. But now he's found a Levite. And this is even closer to what he's looking for. As a nation, as a people, we are very close to electing a new president. And we're going to do it because we have the right to vote. We have a democratic society, and we get to vote. I say to you, prayerfully vote. Just do that. I'm not going to plug any candidate or anything like that, but vote prayerfully. God will lead you. But Micah offers this young Levite a career position to be the priest of his little religious system. This appointment by Micah, it eliminates his own son from being priest, who shouldn't have been a priest anyway. Now Micah has a more qualified 
person for priest, and he's a Levite. And he pays him a handsome salary. Notice Micah's conclusion in verse 13, though. Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as priest. Micah expects God's good blessings because he is being religious, not obedient. He's just working in a Levite, and he thinks he's doing good. There's a world of difference, a world of difference between God's grace going out to us and us pleasing God with our life. Many times we experience grace simply because God is graceful, not because we're doing right. And that is definitely the case here with Micah. Micah's expectation of God is, bless me because of my behavior. And it's a misplaced behavior. Micah is simply having bad doctrine, bad theology. And he wants God to bless it. Remember when Jesus had his encounter with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and in, that's in John 4. And Jesus tells that woman, worship God the Father in spirit and in truth. That's God's requirement. You want to worship God? Do it in spirit. Do it in truth. Micah wants to worship God on his own terms. He wants to bring in his idols. He wants to have his own priest, his own system of worship. And now he expects God to honor and bless his works of the flesh. I have a responsibility as a pastor. Part of that responsibility is to cause you, the people, to think about your behavior before God. Just consider it. I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit. And if I fail to cause you to think about the life you're living, then I'm not doing my job. It's that simple. It's important when we come in here that we worship God in spirit and in truth. It's important. The songs we sing, thank you, Mike. It's important how we pray. We pray to the Father through the Son. It's important that we study God's Word and be critically concerned about doctrine. God in His words tells us He expects us to worship Him from the heart, out of our spirit, based upon truth from His Word. God has been faithful to tell us how to worship. We do not have the option to worship as we please. It's important to God. 
So let us be diligent to worship in a way that pleases God. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, you've told us what you want in worship, and that's how we want to worship. We want to worship from our heart. We want to worship by your spirit in truth, Lord. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to get carried away off into things that are not of you, Lord. We want to be free in our worship. We want our hearts to just uh, be conformed to you, Jesus. So help us. And sometimes, Lord, uh, we can go astray. But we thank you that if, if our heart is right before you, you will correct us and lead us and guide us. So we ask you to do that. Lead us, guide us into pure worship of you, Lord. Not just on Sunday mornings, but let our lives, let our lives be uh, a worship song before you, Lord. We know that you said of Job have you, to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? You were proud of Job, that he was an upright man. We want you to be proud of us, Lord. And we want to just be men and women, believers that worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, take us away from doing things that we consider right in our own eyes. It's very easy to get tempted to drift off into different things, but keep us pure before you, Lord. By your spirit, keep our hearts close to you. We pray for this, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.